Hi friends and welcome to Robcast 71. This one is a bit about doubt. Uh, March 8th, my new book comes out, How to Be Here, and uh, you can order the book now. I'm so excited for you to read this book. And then we're going on tour, so I'll be doing one-day events. The first leg of the tour is just 10 cities around uh, the U.S., which will be all-day Saturday events, because I was like, what would be the most fun thing to do? And it was like, oh, if I just had like a whole day to talk with people, uh, essentially take the ideas in the book farther. And then I was like, wait, what if we got rid of the stage and we just had found like dance halls and art galleries and just brought in chairs and did it in the round, like a big living room. So uh, that, seriously, it's going to be so much fun. And then from there, I think we'll take the tour overseas and we may even do some other events. Uh, we're still working it out. But the first leg is up now. You can get tickets at robbell.com. And I would love to see you on the How to Be Here tour for the How to Be Here experience. But today, uh, let's talk about doubt, uh, shall we? There's this story uh, about Jesus rising from the dead. It's in the Bible. And if you are, <laughs> I said like, it's in the Bible. Um, and by the way, if you just instantly like, okay, wait, I'm getting off the crazy bus, guy rising from the dead. Hold on. Uh, I get it. I get that's a bit of a stretch. I get that's a bit of a leap. I get you're the rational, logical type. You don't do that crazy sort of uh, miracle stuff. I understand. So um, hang out. Just hang out with us, and let's see if it goes anywhere interesting, okay? So there are these four Gospels, these four stories about the life of Jesus. And in one of them, the, the Gospel of Matthew, at the end, Jesus rises from the dead, and then he goes to meet his disciples on a mountain, and I love that part that he meets them on a mountain. Because if you rise from the dead, you're not like, meet me at Kyle's place, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I just rose from the dead. Guys, meet me at Barbara's patio for burgers. No, you got, if you rise from the dead, you meet on a mountain. You with me on that one? And by the way, in one of the gospel accounts, he rises from the dead. And you know what he says to his disciples? This is a great line. Uh, Do you guys have anything to eat? which I know you can relate to, because when you've resurrected, you worked up a huge appetite. Um, and <laughs> that is the dumbest joke. I love it. Uh, there's also one, by the way, the Gospel of John, Jesus rises from the dead, and he's in the garden, and one of his closest followers, Mary, doesn't recognize him. Which I know, if you're like me, when you rise from the dead and your friends don't recognize you, I mean, is that just so frustrating? So, uh, <laughs> so... He rises from the dead and he goes to meet his disciples on a mountain. And it's in the Gospel of Matthew. So the storyteller Matthew is telling you, he's, this is like the big moment, like the penultimate moment of the Gospel when he's resurrected. And then Matthew says he meets them on the mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, how fascinating is that? Some of them worshipped and some of them doubted. I mean, this is, let's be honest, this is terrible propaganda. Are you with me? If you're Matthew and your purpose in writing your story is to convince people that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the true Son of David, the King of Kings, the Savior, the, the, the hope of the world, whatever you, whatever you want to, the Prince of Peace, whatever terms you've heard, why... Why, if you're trying to convince people of his legitimacy, his supremacy, his authenticity, then why do you tell the story like this? 
why at the moment when it reaches its crescendo do you go, oh, by the way, there were a bunch of his closest followers who had been with him for a while who were like, eh, I don't know. By the way, that's the literal Greek right there. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> they And literally the word doubt there is distazo, which is where we get like distance. Um, it's like stasis or stance, like where you stand and then dis, a dist stand or distance. They stood at a distance. They hesitated. They vacillated. They just couldn't do it. And by the way, if you're... <laughs> If you're Jesus and you rise from the dead and some of your closest friends are like, eh, I don't know if I buy it. Are you so frustrated? Are you like, I, that was, that was kind of like the, that was like the big moment. Like, I, that's all I got. Like, I, I didn't, I don't have anything else in the truck. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the weirdest story. Some of them worshiped and some of them doubted. It's such an odd story, and unless, of course, there's something else going on here. It's terrible propaganda, but it's profound insight into what it means to be human. Some people believe, and they're fine with it, and some stand at a distance, and they don't know what to do with him. And in this story, it all belongs. Are you with me here? In this story, it all belongs. So if you read it in terms of propaganda, it's very, very odd. But if you read it in terms of profound insight about what it means to be human, then Matthew is showing us something deeply true about who we are and what it means to be human. This Jesus, at the heart of this story, this Jesus comes in his full humanity to lead us into our full humanity. This isn't about promoting a religion. It's about being human. It's about us being fully alive in all our humanity. That's what compels me. This story is about the Jesus who comes in his full humanity to lead us into our full humanity. And so we embrace the full spectrum of human experience because in this story, what Matthew is doing is acknowledging the full spectrum of human experience, belief and doubt, certainty and uncertainty. Moments when things are clear and straightforward and black and white, and moments when you don't know what's up and what's down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, the authentic spiritual path isn't about moving away from. It's about moving into. A spiritual path that takes you deeper and deeper into true life and its fullness and vitality doesn't take you away from your deepest, darkest fears, worries, anxieties, doubts, stresses, but it takes you into them, into them all the way. What's really interesting to me is, honestly, side note, so many Christians in the modern world are known for being obnoxious about clarity. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, where do you stand? What exactly do you mean? What is your theology? What are your beliefs? 
people getting kicked out of churches and pastors losing their jobs because of how their mental furniture is arranged. But this Jesus story, people say it's all about the cross. And on the, okay, it's all about the cross. On the cross where Jesus says, my God, my God, why did you forsake, why have you forsaken me? At the cross, you have the absence of the divine. You have Jesus saying, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? Where are you? Why have you turned your back on me? Why is the world such a cold, dark, lonely place? That's at the core of this story. So if you're going to be true to this tradition, then clarity and certainty are going to have to exist alongside of doubt and uncertainty. Clear, straightforward, black and white answers are going to have to exist, because there's a time and a place for that, alongside of moments when you have no idea what's up and what's down, and you're overwhelmed with the absence of anything good or true or beautiful. I, I recently heard this uh, leader, this spiritual leader saying, oh man, so-and-so and I, we, we were having... Uh, we were having some really, really honest discussions about faith. Um, is there some other kind? <laughs> like what other kind? Would there be? Almost like, whoa, man, we were going to some crazy places. Is there some other kind of discussion? The authentic spiritual path that will lead you into the fullness of life, into your true deepest humanity, will not lead you away from your deepest, darkest fears, doubts, worries, stresses, anxieties, habits, destruction, addiction, but will lead you all the way into the center of them. Because if we don't acknowledge it and name it and drag it up and shine the light on it, whatever it is lurking in there, then it's in there. And it will inevitably steer and guide us. We'll end up harming ourselves, we'll end up bitter, or we will end up judging labeling, ostracizing, marginalizing others because we don't know what to do with all that lurks inside of us. This is why I find the Bible so compelling. It's so messy and violent because life and people for thousands of years have been messy and violent. This is what people are like. So in this ancient library of writings, like this story we're looking here, and the reason why I love Matthew going, some of them believed and some of them doubted, is it never glosses or shines or polishes how things actually are. And so neither do we. People, by the way, who are so persistent about the beliefs of others and so judgmental and so sort of after sort of doing the theological police, have you ever seen this? People who are like desperately trying to call out other people, they're usually a mess on the inside. Have you had this experience? They don't know what to do with the mess that is their interior life. And if you don't know what to do with that, then inevitably you have to point the finger at somebody else. As long as you're dealing with someone else's mess or beliefs or waywardness or wandering or whatever it is, then you can avoid your own. But the power of this Jesus story is he comes in his full humanity to lead us into our full humanity.
This isn't about promoting a religion. This is about you and I being fully alive. Now, perhaps you uh, are in one of those seasons where you're taking things apart. You know those seasons where you've been handed a way of seeing things, but it's not working like it used to? Uh, maybe you were trained or educated or raised or you picked up along the way. This is how it works. But whatever that is, it's not working like it used to. And oftentimes what can happen is we get overwhelmed with everything that doesn't fit in its nice, neat categories like it used to. And we say things like, I, I don't feel like I know anything anymore. But here's the thing. To evolve and grow and mature, you're going to have to keep going. And when you keep going, you're going to be moving beyond where you were previously. And where you were previously used to work. It used to be fine. All the furniture was arranged and everybody knew their place. But you've had experiences, generally through pain, loss, or some sort of cross-cultural moment when your current system of labels and categories simply isn't working like it used to. And by the way, once you taste, you can't untaste. And once you see, you can't unsee. You've glimpsed something bigger, wider, more expansive, more inclusive, more loving, more evolved, more mature, whatever it is. And so you're moving. But in order to do that, you're going to be moving beyond. You're going to transcend and include that part, place where you used to be will still be a part of your story, but there's going to be some disruption. The disruption is a sign that something interesting and new is happening, something good. Spirit is moving you to a new place. And often that involves deconstruction of the space that you are in. The deconstruction is often the only way to get to the new thing. And so often what happens is the ground is shifting and everything doesn't mean exactly what it used to, and it can be very disorienting, but the disorientation is absolutely necessary. So every one of you who's like, I just don't feel like I know anything anymore, um, that's actually part of it. And instead of having it be a sign of panic and tension and fear, celebrate it. Do you want to stay exactly where you were? Do you want to be exactly the person that you were 17 years ago forever? No. Or seven years ago or seven months or seven weeks or seven days ago? No. You want to keep going to grow and evolve. And to do that, you have to own your path. And that means there will be moments when it feels like the, the carpet, the rug has been pulled out from underneath you and you don't feel like you know anymore. But here's the thing, here's the thing. In those moments, no matter how disorienting it is, you're actually more alive than ever because you're aware and you're owning it. And when you aren't aware and you aren't owning it is when you stay the same and that's when we get stuck in ruts. So if you have the sense of you don't know up from down, you have the sense like everything is spinning, celebrate it because it means something is happening. You're more alive than ever. Do you, do you feel like what's happening to you doesn't fit in any one ideology or box anymore? Great. Welcome to the club. Growth will always involve 
some kind of disorientation, which is why I love how Matthew says, yes, he rises from the dead. He meets them on a mountain and some of them believed and some of them hesitated. They vacillated. They stood at a distance. They doubted because it's all part of it. How else would it work? Jesus, we should note, isn't remotely disturbed by their doubt. He doesn't have a problem with it. Do you notice like in the story, some of them worshiped and some of them doubted. And then Jesus launches into, now I want you to be my students and I want you to go and make more students. He just launches into his vision for them. He doesn't call them out or castigate them or judge them. Apparently, it's fine. And he doesn't have any need to fix it or resolve it. There isn't a line there where Matthew or Jesus are like, now, you got to understand they had weak faith, but if they would just pray or, well, you know, they doubted, but then they got it together. No, it just sits there unresolved. Some things just sit there unresolved. Some questions don't have answers. Think about the suffering in the world right now. Think about the horrible... Well, I'm sure you heard, if you heard the Robcast with Jeremy Courtney, and he's talking about what they call an infanticide, like all these children being born in Iraq with, with severe challenges and all of the medical challenges that come with that. Uh, what do you do with that? You just fix that? You just result? How do we deal with the kind of suffering there is in the world? Sometimes it can't be fixed or resolved. We can do things, we can act in the world in particular ways to help alleviate that suffering, but some questions don't have answers. Why are some human beings capable of, oh, we all are, but why do some people act in such ways? They bring so much violence to the world. How come we say and do things that we would never intend to do, and we say them, we can't even believe we said them? Where does all of this come from? But in this passage, in this story, some of them worshiped, and some of them doubted, and it all sits side by side. And at the end, when Jesus says, no, I want you to be my, you're my students. I want you to go into the world. I want you to spread. I want you to make more students. And then he says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says it to all of them. He says it to all of them. I uh, remember one morning waking up just overwhelmed with this idea of, somebody rising from the dead. And like, that is just the craziest idea ever. And like, I don't know if I, I mean, a God, a good loving God who intervenes, uh, who's involved in the world doing really great things. And I remember this one morning just waking up with just racked with doubt about this particular story. Um, the only problem was it was Easter Sunday, and I was the pastor of a very large church, and I was driving in to the church to give a, uh, Easter sermons. And, you know, you don't just stand up on, on an Easter Sunday and be like, yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That's not the best Easter sermon, not the best resurrection uh, sermon. But uh, I distinctly remember feeling like the bottom had dropped out. Like, how can you stand on a stage and say all these things, argue for all these things, try to prove all these things? And it was through that pain and disorientation that I had to, I had to arrive at a new way to understand this whole thing. And what's really interesting to me is it, it didn't take me away from this tradition. It took me farther into it because when I actually read these stories, there were these endless mentions and glimpses of people who were like, I don't know. You see it early on, people wrestling and arguing with the divine. And I mean, the name Israel means to struggle with the divine, to basically be like, I don't know. I don't know, to argue, to bargain, to shake those tiny fists like antennas towards the heavens. That it's all part of your full humanity. That to be fully alive is to acknowledge it all. And what you will discover when you do is there's the question that comes up. If you are honest about your doubt... And sometimes people will be like, man, we're just, I just need a place where I can have some of these discussions. Awesome. Awesome. But, but it's not like you're going to have some discussion that people haven't had for thousands of years. Like, take what you think is the most radical, dangerous thing to, to present. It's been said countless times. Denial, uh, destruction, deconstruction, all of the different impulses that rise up that say there's no good, there's no, there can be no sunrise, are you kidding me? There's, there's no spirit moving across the, whatever it is, everybody's, it's been, it's been thought, it's, it's an idea that's been embraced a billion times. <laughs> it's, so what, discover, what you discover when you actually go all the way into all of the impulses lurking within you is that you have lots of company. You have lots of people going, ah, I don't know, lots of people standing at a distance, saying, I don't buy it, whatever the it is. But what you will discover is that a question begins to arise, which is, now what? Now what? Now what? So you can throw away what you were taught, how you were educated, uh, how you were trained, worldviews, epistemologies, perspectives, religions, catechisms, uh, whatever it is, you can throw all of it out. And you may need to. And some of it may be complete rubbish and you should throw it away right now. But you will always, in doing that, discover there's a question that lingers on the edges of all of it, which is now what? Because at some point, we're here. We're here in space and time, in flesh and blood, and we get to make choices about how we're going to live. And what are you going to do with this extraordinary gift that is your life? How are we going to live in the world? Are we going to be stingy or generous? Are we going to be hard-hearted or are we going to be compassionate? Are we going to take whatever resources, energy, gifts, talent, skill, 
and sit on it, or are we going to use it to bless people and to help people and to show them love? Underneath all of the questions about doubt and disbelief and deconstruction, and I don't know what I think about any of that anymore, you're still in the head. You're still trapped in the head. And at the heart of this Jesus story, and what I find so fascinating is some of them, some of them worshiped and some of them doubted it. But then what he says to them is now go to the ends of the earth and make some students. He came to show us a way to live. And then when he says to them now go and make some students, which is teach everybody who's interested this way of living, this nonviolent, compassionate, honest way of living in which you forgive others, in which you love your enemies. Go, live this way. And whoever's interested, show them this way. He even has this great line, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what that's about, right? That is a reflection of a Trinitarian view of the universe, that the divine is not a static, fixed category but a dynamic community of self-giving love. This is the image of the divine that Jesus has. So don't get thrown off by the masculine Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's first century Jewish way of saying the engine of the universe is a community of Trinitarian love in which the members encircle one another. And so what we do is we then move in circles around each other. We give, serve, and love each other. And so when it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what he's saying, because the word baptize means to immerse, immerse people in a Trinitarian dance of love. Come on! See, the problem with a lot of discussions is it stays in the head. And you have this argument, and whoa, that dangerous idea, and whoa, so-and-so is really rethinking that whole thing, which is great and absolutely necessary. I'm cheering you on. But then what? Because the invitation is to live in the world in a particular way. And you can be filled with doubt about all kinds of things, but you can still say yes to the very real invitations in front of you every single day. So wherever you're coming from, Maybe you have rejected it all. Okay. Or maybe you were handed no larger view, so you have nothing to unlearn. You're just sort of wading into this, trying to make sense of the sense you have that there's something more going on here, and what might that be? And something within you says that you aren't just a collection of cells and biology, but that there's something that connects you with the people around you, that how you eat and care for the earth and how you care for your body, and how you think about your neighbor, and how we organize ourselves politically, and how we use our energies in the world, that something tells you that all of this is part of a seamless whole. I think so too, by the way. And so perhaps you're just sort of trying to find language for all of this. Awesome, awesome. So whether you're handed this thing doesn't work, and you're sort of violently, strongly rejecting it, or whether you're sort of Find yourself like fumbling in the dark for some anchor points for what this thing is and what we're doing. Wherever you are, then what? The invitation 
is to enter in to this movement in the world. And you can do that right now. You can do that today, that tomorrow. You can say yes to that invitation. So for those of you who uh, have all sorts of deep, dark doubts, there's nothing unusual about that. It's totally normal. It all belongs. It's all part of it. Jesus meets them on a mountain, and some of them are filled with certainty because sometimes you're filled with certainty. Some of them were uncertain because sometimes you're uncertain. Some, it was very straightforward, black and white, here I stand. Some of them stood at a distance. It was gray. It was cloudy. It was vague. It was ambiguous. I don't quite know. Some of them bought it. Some of them were like, mm-mm, I'm not convinced. And it's all part of what it means to be human. He comes in his full humanity to lead us into ours.